I feel like there's so much to talk about today. There's a lot to talk about today. We launched our merch store yesterday. Yes, we did. Our spread um, shop, which you can find the link in our sh- in the show notes, profile. in our link tree, Linkstagram profile. Shirts and totes and pins. And, and mugs. And mugs and hats. Sweatshirt. like All sorts of stuff. It's really fun. And also, just to say out loud, we are not 100% sure what people want. So if you're like, oh, I wish this shirt came in this color, or I wish there was a button that said such and such, let us know and we could make it for you. You know, gazereading at gmail.com. Send us a DM at gazereading on Instagram. We're figuring it out. But I'm exactly. excited. It Some of it's so cute. And I have the tote bag. And I got to say, I'm a bit of a tote bag snob. And it's really good quality. And it's not because, <laughs> listen, it's a little expensive. Um, but it was worth I was like, ooh, I'm going to bring this everywhere. It's good quality. Good size bag. Yeah. See? Yeah, we have two of them. I have two totes. The shirts are very comfortable. I had one of the sweatshirts. A, that oh, I you gave. got one of the sweatshirts? Or well, you like, gave I, it? I gave the sweatshirt to one of my fogs. Friend of gays. One of your FOGs. Yes. 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 Also, huge gay reading news. Yes. 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 Mr. Stephen Rowley. Stephen Rowley and his newest book, which happens to be a sequel to The Gunkle called The Gunkle Abroad. Bum, bum, bum. He was telling me it's a double entendre because. He's both abroad, but there's also a lady involved. We love a pun. Wow. Look at you getting all the, the juicy details. I got the scoop. That is so exciting. No, I'm really excited. Mazel tov, Steven. We love him. We're big fans. We're very excited for you and the sequel. I wanted to do a quick shout out to a book, since this is a book podcast. Book podcast. Go ahead. Um, I know. I have one too, actually. Okay, good. Uh, I just finished Belly's by Nicola Danan. And it is fantastic. This is her first book. It just came out here like two weeks ago about a young couple, a kind of a boy meets boy in London, a young couple. And their relationship kind of takes a turn when one of the couple announces that he is planning on transitioning. There's parts of this book that are really funny, but I really feel like this is one of the most accurate representations of kind of young queer life presently out there. And it's so well done and it's beautiful writing. I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. I can't speak enough about it. I just, I absolutely loved it. And you? And me. Okay. So this is a little bit unfair because I have not actually finished this book, but this is one of those things. Listen, I'm thoroughly enjoying doing this podcast. I love everything we're doing. But pro tip and hot take to anybody listening, if you want to read all the books that are on your TBR, don't start a book podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. There are so many books that I like. can't wait to read, but I have to prioritize books of authors that we're interviewing. But I started this book a couple of weeks ago, and it's sitting on my desk and just staring up at me. And I am so excited to keep reading it. I'm about 100 pages in. It's called The Road to Dalton by Mm. Shannon Bowring. And so here, I'll read the blurb. But before I do that, let me just, or no, I'll just do that real fast. Okay. From debut author Shannon Bowring comes a luminous new novel of small town America. In the last weeks of 1989, a fender bender breaks the silence on an icy dark road outside Dalton, Maine, setting in motion events that will ripple throughout the town in ways no one can foresee. I won't keep reading the rest. Okay. Well, the very last paragraph says, The Road to Dalton offers valuable understandings of what it means to be alive in the world of pain and joy, conflict and love, and the endurance that comes from living. So, right. That like doesn't say too much, but that's sort of what the book is. It's this little slice of life, small town story. But I got to say, 100 pages in, I started weeks ago, and I keep thinking about these little characters and I I want to go back and look in their window. You know what I mean? And like, see how they're doing, Um, which is rare. As I've talked about on this podcast before, the minute I close a book, I forget every single thing about it. So (laughs) the fact that this is still nagging in the back of my mind, I'm excited. So I wanted to shout it out. The Road to Dalton by Shannon Boring. Um, And I'm excited to finish it. And if anyone wants to pick it up, we can essentially read it, read along together. So nice. um, That is that. And awesome. Oh, I'm so excited for our guest today. Oh, my God. Oh my this God. episode, like, talk about a freaking joy. 
She's a delight. A delight. We have Angie Kim, the fantastic author Angie Kim. Here is her bio. Angie Kim moved as a preteen from Seoul, South Korea to the suburbs of Baltimore. After graduating from Interlochen Arts Academy, she studied philosophy at Stanford University and attended Harvard Law School. I've heard of both of those places, uh, where she was an editor of the Harvard Law Review. Her debut novel, Miracle Creek, which really only came out a couple years ago, crazy, won the Edgar Award, the ITW Thriller Award, Strand Critics Award, and the Pinkley Prize, and it was named one of the best books of the year by Time, The Washington Post, Kirkus Reviews, and The Today Show. Angie Kim lives in Northern Virginia with her family. She's an underachiever, clearly. We talked about this at the beginning of the episode. This is writing as her fifth career. Yeah. Crazy. It's insane. It's insane. So, without further ado, I'm Jason. I'm Brett. And enjoy this episode of Gays Good morning. Hi, how are you? Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Pretty good. I'm so excited that we can catch you before you go on your big book tour. Where are you coming in LA? So in LA, I'm doing two. So I'm coming to Santa Monica at Zibby's um, bookstore. Mm. And I'm going to be in conversation with Gabrielle Zevin. Who's Uh. tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow (laughs) is like my favorite read of the last year. Have you met her? I haven't. I interviewed her last year. She is the nicest, smartest. I'm obsessed with her. We became best friends very quickly. I'm obsessed with her. I know you can't be best friends with her because I want to be best friends with her. I'm her Um, gay best friend. I'm her new gay. Yeah. All right. I'll be her straight female best friend. Perfect. I didn't realize that she was reading my book. My editor sends me her blurb one day, and I'm like, "What? She she read my book." And he was like, unless she's lying about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sent her this email and I was like, I can't really believe that you read my book. And my editor says you wouldn't lie about that. And she was like, no, I read it. <laughs> she was so, so sweet. Cute. She was so sweet. Wonderful. Yeah. I just love, I love that book. And so I'm really excited about that. I just realized the microphone that I was showing you, this microphone, I didn't have it plugged in. So let me just see if, how is that? That's good. Oh. That's better, right? That's yes. better than this one? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. I thought so. <laughs> I was like, I was get very confused. And if you are doing more podcasts, now you know. We're not posting anything like on YouTube. So we should have said, come in right. your pajamas. I do actually basically stay in my pajamas all like day long. I'm just, I'm actually wearing what I basically wore to bed. So sorry about that. Guys. Good. No, don't but, be sorry. So, Wait, so the, these are basically the my necklace pajamas. makes it look a little dressed up. This is, this, so this is my everyday necklace. I wear this everywhere I go with everything because it's my kids' birthstones. Oh. So my husband, oh, wow. would, every time I had a baby, he would like have their birthstones added so this is amazing wait have your kids started back to school yet so two are actually back in college already they start yeah they're yeah so i have three kids and two are in college they both start on monday my youngest who is 14 he's starting high school and he is going off to boarding school he's going to my alma mater for music to interlochen yes no, wait, what did yeah. you, I'm so Exciting. curious because what, when you went to Interlock and what was your focus? Was it writing? It wasn't at acting. all. Acting. It was, it was acting. I love it. Yeah. I did my research. Oh my God. You are so good, Jason. Brett, he beat you there. He you did. have to say. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So it was acting and I, I, it was actually a double major. It was that and music, piano. But yeah, but musical theater was my thing and I was really into it and I would have gone into it, I think, except that my acting coaches said, this was in the 80s, you're Asian and there really aren't roles for Asians in acting. So we think probably you shouldn't do that. They might have been trying to be nice to me, like thinking that's better than telling her she sucks. 
And so she has no hope of, who knows? I don't know. But that's what they told me. And they were like, we hear you're good at academics. So why don't you go do something in that? And But writing is what, career five for you? Yes, it's my mm. fifth career. Well, I'm excited for number six, which is going to be writing a musical. That's exactly oh, right. I would love to do that. I would seriously love to do that. Except that when I wrote songs when I was a teenager, they tended to be, I don't know, very saccharine. You were a teenager. Yeah, yeah. I was a teenage girl. So yes. I was like Mariah Carey type stuff. Yes. And so my kids are, all three of them are musicians and they all compose music and they like they're like ready to barf when I there's this song that we sometimes play for them because I recorded it and we my husband and I danced to it it was our first dance for our wedding and so it's on a wedding video and they're just kind of like I guess that's good mom but it's really not so (laughs) so you wrote your first dance song Yes, yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. God. And, I love and, that. And, yeah, and played it and sang it. Yeah. What's the name of it? It's called When We First Met. Okay. I was yeah. expecting like love in the title. I was waiting for like the love that always was or something. Or like... Yeah, but it's like that. It's like that. Like the lines are like that. <laughs> yeah, but you're older and wiser now. Yeah. And I am very into musicals. So that would be, I would love that. What's a fave? Seriously. Okay. Can I just be old school yeah. about yes. this? Yeah. Okay. Chesta musical. Oh Whoa. my God. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Talk did about saccharin. See? Sorry about it. Oh, but listen. <laughs> and the whole just... Russian American thing now. <laughs> it's freaking it's ABBA. And by the way, did you just see it was just done? What is it, Jason? What is the theater back east? You know what I'm talking about? It was just done. I want to say it happened at the Muni. Yes, it was just done at the Muni. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching the clips and people said it was incredible. And the Muni, I don't know if you're aware of this, the Muni gets these amazing Broadway stars, like top tier to come out. And it's a it's an amphitheater. It's like going to the Hollywood Bowl or it's something like, like the that. It's like the Hollywood oh, Bowl wow. in, in St. Louis. Oh yes. my God. So you're in St. Louis. They have incredible seasons of like fully produced, gorgeous musicals with, I'm telling you, top tier talent. I have to find like one of the videos and I'll send it to you on yes. Instagram. Send it to me. Send it to me. Just the clips of singing like, nobody's a nomad. <laughs> that and... I mean, Brett, that I, that voice. <laughs> you, when I'm in LA, we should get together and I can, we can like play sing along. a little yes. chess oh sing along for sure. <laughs> oh my God. I used to, I was, um, obs- I was really obsessed with it. So I sorry, was obsessed did- with that. Okay. So when I was in college, my freshman summer and like that first quarter of sophomore year or whatever, I did a study abroad at Oxford and I would cut class and I would just take the train into London and just watch the, the, like, you know, because they have the matinees and they were yeah. much cheaper. You could get the yeah, students to whatever. So I would do that all the time. So I went, I think that was the summer that it was like chess and what is the one with the rollerblades? Starlight oh, Express. Uh, Starlight Express. Starlight, yeah. Starlight Express. <laughs> yes, I am the Starlight. Talk about stupid oh And Les Mis and yeah. Phantom and all of those kids. And that moment that. was like uh, the big, this was a big pop musical. rock power ballad yes. moment. Totally. Synthesizers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh and I love Jesus Christ Superstar. I yeah. love all of that stuff. <laughs> I eat it up. I And speaking of the chess sing-along, there's, do you guys know Louis Baird? He, oh my God. Um, yes. Yes. I'd yeah. Love, the, the pale yes. blue eye. Yeah. His okay, new one so is he, Jackie and Me is his new one. Yes. Jackie and Me. Oh, I love so much. Okay. So he and I are really good friends in DC and, and he lives right by... Uh, one of my favorite bookstores, East City Bookshop. And so whenever I have an event there, I go earlier. He makes me this very strong drink based good vodka. And then we, and he's a singer. And so I just, we break out in song and for courting Mr. Lincoln, which is like this three-way trio love affair between Mr. Lincoln and his 
roommate, and it's a love triangle between the roommate and the first lady, I forget her name, Mary. Mary Todd, and, yeah. yeah. And so we sing that song, I Know Him So Well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because, it's, because it's a love triangle song. Yes. And so we so do funny. it. And there was one time when we went to a book club dinner kind of thing. I did the book club. And then I said, you guys have to read Lou's book next. So then they invited me back for that book club. And so I got to join in. And then we sang that song for them at the oh my book God. club. The that book was club? like my favorite. Yes, that was like my favorite book club ever. Because That is so funny. And it was like the perfect recap of that book. Okay, to- I think you guys should start like the whole thing back in the 80s when like Stephen King and Amy Tan, they had a whole group yes. called the Rock Bottom Remainders or something. Yes, yeah, I, think I, I saw them to- recently. Okay, you need to revive this, but change it to be like, we'll figure out a new name for you guys and start this group of musical theater nerds, all (laughs) writers who go around and perform. That would be That's funny. Yeah, perform... Especially like appropriate songs that that's go exactly with right with the thematic yeah. songs. Yes, that would be good. That would be good. It's that's- funny that you say that. I'm the king of of taking a nugget of a non sequitur and bringing it into the book and starting the yes. conversation. So uh-huh. here, that's that moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> great, 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 Jason. This morning, I was yes. thinking about happiness falls, and I was like. And just thinking about happiness as a theme. And I thought about the song from You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, which I don't know if you're familiar. I was in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. I was. Yes. Of course you were. At At Interlochen. At Interlochen. Yes, I was Patty. I was Patty. Oh, my God. So I was thinking of the song Happiness, which is the finale of the show. And it talks about the, like, simple things in life that can bring you happiness. Happiness is finding a pencil, sharing a secret, getting along. Happiness is learning to whistle. Happiness. It's just these, like, little micro things in your life that can be, that can make you happy. When you were talking about singing songs thematic to the book, my first thought was, oh, what would that be for Happiness Falls? And I was like, oh, wait, I've already thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) I love this so much. It comes back full circle because we were also talking about it. And this is how this whole yes. thing got started. Oh and that was, the, I think that was my senior year. So I think that was my oh, final wow. musical. And I completely forgot that the last song of that musical is Happiness. Yes. I can't believe that I forgot that. You're welcome. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is very cool. Yes, is it really is so cool. cool. My son, on the other hand, is not going to. Thank you very much, because this is what's going to happen in two weeks. When So we take him to Interlochen uh-huh. two days after my book comes out. Oh. And so I'm not doing like any events for the first week or two or no, like 10 days. So when I'm on campus, I am going to remember this. I'm going to remember a conversation and I'm going to go around singing happiness <laughs> and my husband and my kid are going to be so embarrassed because they hate when I do that. Like my husband, when we met in law school, I used to say, okay, today I'm going to, for the next hour, not talk. I'm just going to sing everything. And so we would be on the T on the platform. And we would, and I had another friend who was a music musical theater nerd so she and I her name is Susan and so she and I would do this and so on the tea platform we would just be like hello how are you today and and then she would sing back and we would have whole conversations in song and seriously my husband her boyfriend at the time they would get away from us and be like we don't know them they're strange (laughs) and it's gonna it's gonna come back to this and I'm oh. gonna break and then I'm gonna blame you, Jason. I love that so much. If getting Angie Kim to go back to her sing-along roots is what <laughs> is my takeaway and what you're blaming me for, blame me all day. Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. So happiness falls. I yes. loved it. Oh. It was I it, it was so frustrating to me because the I end of every that. chapter, I was like, damn it, Angie, you left with like a teeny tiny cliffhanger that I just have to keep going. Exactly. I love that. Definitionally a page turner. And it was great, but also annoyed the hell out of me. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, but not sorry. Yeah. Can you just for the listeners who who aren't familiar with it yet, just to do your log line for the book for everybody? 
Yeah, sure. Happiness Falls is a story about a family that's thrown into crisis. It's a biracial family, Korean and American, white American, in Northern Virginia, and the father goes missing one day. And the only person who might know what happened who was with him when he went missing is the teenage son, 14-year-old Eugene, who has a rare genetic disorder called Angelman syndrome, as well as a dual diagnosis along with autism and cannot speak. So the entire family goes into crisis mode and has to try to figure out how to connect with Eugene, both to try to find the father, which they're frantic about, but at the same time also trying to protect Eugene from the police because the police are getting very suspicious about what might have happened Mm -hmm. in the park when the father and he were walking and only Eugene came out of it by himself. Yeah. That done. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. you have to find. You have to read to find out the rest. Right. To step away from the book for one second, I have to ask. It comes up in the book. Did you take the science of well-being class, the Yale happiness class? I did not actually take the entire class, but I sampled uh-huh. and. I also read through a lot of the Atlantic happiness column. Yeah. I also read through a lot of the happiness project and uh-huh. there are so many podcasts on this. And I'm a and I'm a podcast nerd. Shout out Gretchen Rubin. She's amazing. Yeah, she is amazing. Shout yeah, out Dr. Lori Santos of Absolutely. the Science of Wellbeing. Absolutely. I did take the class and I like was going through I was going through all my notes this morning from it. And I was like, oh yeah. my God, there are so many themes that are obviously right. in your book, but where did the happy happiness as a as in general sort of come from for you? And I yeah. think I know one of Brett's questions, which was really interesting, was how did you even come up with the study that Adam is doing in the book? Yeah, which I had to Google that immediately. I was like, this is a real thing. Clearly it's a real thing. And I wasn't finding it. I was like, did she make this up? I made it up. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't really want to take the course, for example, because I didn't want to inadvertently lift things and I wanted it to be what this fictional character would be doing but I did make it up and I think I've been obsessed about happiness for as long as I can remember so Mm. when I was 11 I emigrated from Korea to the U.S. with my parents and it was in middle school and it was a highly traumatic thing for me just because Especially middle school, which is such a mm. hard time anyway. Middle school is a traumatic time. It's the worst. Exactly, for anybody. Yeah. And so to come and then all of a sudden not be able to speak anything. You know, yeah. I didn't speak English. I couldn't understand. I was wearing the wrong clothes. We were very poor in Korea. And the three of us, so I'm an only child, we lived in one tiny room that was like an add-on to another family's house. And... Mm. We didn't have indoor plumbing. We Mm. had outhouses. We didn't have showers or baths. We didn't have central heating or any of that kind of stuff. We... I had never seen a color TV before. I remember my mom telling me the concept and I was like, I don't really understand like how things move in a screen. Like I just didn't get a lot of the stuff. And... So when we found out that we were moving to America, I remember everybody saying, it's like you won the lottery. Hmm. And we were so excited and so happy. And then when we finally moved, my parents had to work basically 6 a.m. to midnight every day in this tiny grocery store in downtown Baltimore in a very dangerous neighborhood thick bulletproof glass all the way around. And so they just basically lived in that store. They'd slept in a tiny cupboard in the back while I lived with my aunt and uncle and my cousin who were amazing. And I'm still very close with them, but still I lost my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And I lost my sense of identity because I couldn't communicate with people for most of the day. And it really did a number on my sense of self and competence and confidence. And I remember really thinking about that time when I was 
in undergrad and I was taking some kind of psychology philosophy class. I was a philosophy major and they talked about this lottery study. And I remember being fascinated and it made me remember back to when people said you won the lottery mm-hmm. going to the U.S. and I how happy I expected to feel objectively. I had a much better life. I had my own bathroom. I had microwave, refrigerator, all these wondrous things that I hadn't, I didn't even know existed. And so I did win the lottery in that sense. And yet at the same time, I was miserable. I wanted to go back. I really blamed my parents for bringing us into this really ridiculous situation that I hated, even though it was being done for my benefit. And so I really thought back to the objective versus subjective notions of happiness and this idea of the relativity of happiness, that you can't really say how happy one should be because it's all relative to what your experience baseline level is and what your expectations are. And so that's something that stayed with me for a really long time. In Happiness Falls, I have a chapter about this fucked up notion of Korean optimism, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. the character's grandmother has, which is if something bad happens to you, always think of like how it could have been much, much worse. And it's that relativity of happiness idea again. And I don't know where I got that from. I thought it was a Korean thing, but apparently it's um, my family's weird notions because other Koreans I've talked to were like, I'm not aware of that notion. But anyway, and so it's something that I've just used throughout my life. Mm -hmm. And so when I was thinking about the situation with the father going missing and this family having this youngest baby of the family who has this dual diagnosis that they can't communicate with and the pain of that, which I had a little bit of an inkling of just from my temporary time of kind of feeling like I couldn't connect to anyone linguistically from my immigration experience. So those things all came together. And I just thought, okay, I really want to explore this because I use writing to explore things that I don't know exactly what I think of yet. And so I really wanted to write about it. And I didn't know exactly what the studies were going to be and what the experiments were. But I had in mind that the dad was going to be this quirky social scientist guy who kind of experiments on the family, possibly without them knowing about it, to refine his ideas of happiness in order for the greater good for the family Mm -hmm. to make them happier. And so I thought of studies he could do. And I started spreadsheets. Um, And I started plugging in numbers and asked myself if I had this kind of an expectation, I had this kind of an experience, how would I feel like, would that be a 10 and reverse engineered it and came Mm -hmm. up with the idea of the happiness quotient, dividing things. Yeah. So it was really fun. I really liked it a lot. (laughs) And it's funny that you instinctively got there because there are adjacent things that were in the science of well-being class. So obviously I understand why you didn't want to experience that, but I was like, oh, when somebody does sit down and think about happiness and really start to strip it away and unpack it, the threads are all there. I took the class at the beginning of the pandemic and then, I don't know, maybe six months later, I went into therapy for the first time in my adult life. Big fan of therapy, but I learned, oh, we're shouting out therapy. Big fan, yeah. But I learned early on about expectations and myself, whether it's expectations of myself, expectations of others. And I was like, I was just learning about this in the happiness class. And I forgot to put it onto my own life and think about how that was affecting me beyond happiness. Yeah. And it's so interesting, though, too, because there are some things that I think if you think about notions of happiness long enough, you're all going to probably get to the similar places. Sure. My husband was reading these articles about happiness in the Atlantic. I think it's Arthur Brooks, I think is his name. Yeah, that sounds right. We'll call it right. And when and he was reading my first draft. So he everything Mm. was done. And he was like this happiness quotient thing, the dividing, the expectations and into the actual experience, your actual, yeah, the 
yeah, I'm just saying that wrong. But yeah, the dividing thing with it, dividing the expectations and the experience, he said, I just read an article. It just came out today or yesterday. And he had something like that. Happiness Mm -hmm. is not, it's what you have divided by what you want. And I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds similar. That sounds like very familiar. And I was like, did I steal that? When was that? And he was like, no, he just came out with it like yesterday. And I was like, oh, good. I'm glad. And the example that I can't remember if it was in the book, it might've been in the book, but it's also just the thing that really sticks in my mind is the Olympics and the medals. Because if you get the silver, but you were hoping to get the gold, you're disappointed that you got the silver. And if you got the bronze, it's better than not placing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All the studies say that the gold medalists are the happiest at first at that moment anyway. Right. And then and the bronze medalist is always the second happiest. Right. Because if you're the silver medalist, you're like, oh, if I had only just done a little bit better, I could have gotten gold. And then the person who is really just devastated is the person who places fourth. Right. Because they're like, if only I had done a little bit, I could have been on that podium. Whereas If you're nine or 10, you're actually pretty happy because got in the top 10. So interesting. I know. It's so interesting. And if it was the grandmother, she would say you could have slipped on the track and broken your back. So anything was better. Exactly. Exactly. So So it's good. Yeah. It's good that you didn't get third place. That's exactly right. It could have been so much worse. Yeah, or that metal probably has some toxic, like heavy metal thing in it. And then you like sleep with it because you love it so much. And then you get poisoned and then you die. I know. Uh, Strangely, I identified with all of her stuff. I don't know what that says about me, but I really did. (laughs) I love that. I do remember thinking for the longest time, it is going to be that simple equation of what you experience divided by what your expectations are. So lowering your expectations is just going to make you happier. And then wait, in order to lower my expectations, I actually can't get excited about possibly winning something. And that can affect your mindset too. So Yeah. yeah, you might be happier at the moment, but leading up to it, you might get a lot more happiness if you set high expectations and allow yourself to get really excited. So then once I thought that, then I was like, okay, I need some other factor. What is that going to be? And so that's when I came up with, okay, it's going to be your baseline of what you think of your life. And Mm -hmm. so I'm doing that right now, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to remember back to when I didn't have an agent. I didn't Mm -hmm. have any book deals. I didn't have a book out. And I was thinking to myself, if I can just finish this first novel, that will be accomplishment enough for me. And I have to remember really hard every day. That is the baseline. Right. And it's the same thing with my kids. One of them just got his first job. And I was just thinking, I'm going to write him a letter. I just be like, this is when you are so happy about this job. I just want him to remember that moment. If you get a promotion, don't let that become the new baseline. Mm. Remember back to when you first started out and and you'll have a lot better chance of still being able to set high expectations for yourself and enjoying that rush of imagining getting the promotion or getting the award or whatever it is, but not, not being so dependent on it and that you just sap the joy out of the experience. One of your examples, which resonated so much to me, you could have so much money or you can have an experience. Yes. My son and daughter wanted to see Taylor Swift. And we all went, My whole the whole family went. And that's something everybody's going to remember. And the joy and just the family being together. Not only the money, but the example in the book, in, and this is from a real life study, is an experience that you buy or an object that you buy. And the experience does over time bring you more joy. My theory of as to why is because the object, you stare at it every Mm -hmm. day, it becomes part of your baseline. It becomes Mm -hmm. part of your home, your life, your office, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So then you get used to it. And then once you get used to it, it's no longer that new thrill. Whereas you're not going to think about 
that concert every single day, or I, I don't know, maybe you will, but <laughs> so not Swifties so much or something else. Yeah. Yes. Not so much that you're going to get used to it and it's going to become the baseline. So every right. time you remember it, it becomes a fresh new thing that you can get joy out of. And in right. fact, your memory can probably shift and even make it more even enjoyable. Better. Exactly. Better. Oh. Memory right. of something is better. Yep. You know, it's, I find it so cool interesting yeah. i yeah. never have yeah. i need to need to do some like a like a vocabulary word of the day to help my uh, yeah the, the, more, the more podcast episodes i do i'm like oh i say fun too many times i use the words too many times oh, um, please no it's great so your book is it's a family drama it's mm-hmm. a page turner it's a mystery also there are so many big picture themes i feel so like we many. could talk about the themes more so like the plot everyone can read it and enjoy the book but it's about the details mattering, right? Mm-hmm. Semantics yeah. and words yes. mattering yeah. and assumptions. One of the things I wrote down was because Y happens after X, you assume that X causes Y. Yes. And I was like, oh, that, yeah. that isn't necessarily real. And, and again, it's these not. sort of assumptions that we make. Yeah, these um, fallacies and heuristics and yeah, the shortcuts that we make just because they save time. But when you use something as a proxy for something else, sometimes that can be wrong. And Mia, who is our kind of nerdy, funny, I hope, character. She's so funny. So dry. <laughs> so dry. She talks about this a lot because she's a person who notices lots of little things. And she focuses in on a lot of things. And she talks about the fact that in genetics, for example, for this Angelman syndrome, there was a deletion or mutation of something like one over nonillionth part of his genes that got either deleted or mutated. And that is enough to make it so that he can't talk and communicate with people. And he has all of these motor issues and needed to do things like learn to walk and jump and do the things that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. And and she and her fraternal twin also have something like, that's a lot less, but they share so much in common, like 99.997% of their genes are the same. And yet it's that tiny difference that makes them into boy versus girl, into optimist versus pessimist, Mm -hmm. into a musician versus athlete, all of these things. And I think her focusing on the little details of life makes us as hopefully mystery detectives who are reading along at the mystery level, maybe pay a little bit slightly more careful attention to some of the stuff that, you know, the family is learning from the detectives and all of the neighbors and hopefully try to solve the mystery along with the family. It's so funny you say that because I'm trying to think about how I want to phrase this. As I was reading, I would think, oh, they learned this. I bet this is what happened. Oh my God, absolutely. I think, yes. But then, because this, it it drives me crazy when you read a mystery and you guess the ending 100 pages before the ending. But what you did so brilliantly, and it was clearly on purpose because it happened literally 100% of the time, I would learn information, be like, oh, this is what happened. Two pages later, they would say what I was just thinking. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Mia, she's telling a story. It is this reflection period and it's set during COVID, but is not a COVID book. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. hurdles uh, that we were all dealing with are present, but it's not about people getting sick. No, it's not about that. It's not really (laughs) about that time period. And it was really something that I did as a writing exercise almost. And I remember telling my agent and my editor, my agent especially was like, oh, I don't know, COVID, people might not want to read about. And I said, look, it's it doesn't have to be set in that time period, but setting in that time period just helped me to find a way into the story. I was mm. really having so much trouble focusing and writing as I think we all were right at the beginning period of sort of June 2020 that time period Mm -hmm. and that was when I really started working on this and this family has been with me 
for now over 10 years yeah over 10 years i've written short stories about them so i've been thinking about this and i've been thinking about the happiness fall story for many years even before i published miracle creek Hmm. and all throughout the tour and talking to book clubs about miracle creek i was developing in my mind what was happening and things like that when i actually sat down to start drafting It was just so hard. And I remember thinking about what this walk would be like during COVID with a mask on, with Eugene having sensory issues, not being able to maybe maintain having a mask on or maybe Mm. having that make him even more anxious and all of that kind of stuff. Because I was hearing about those stories from friends Mm -hmm. of mine who have kids with various sensory issues and anxiety and autism and things like that. And so I was thinking about that and it just gave me a way in to imagine a scene like that happening. Then when I thought about it, I thought about the masks that we wear and the outward appearances versus the inside appearances and the COVID masks that we were wearing And it just felt like some of the stuff that we were going through really amplified the themes that were otherwise present in the story. Things like vacations, restaurants, going to offices, all of that. The baseline completely was cut out from us. And so Adam, the father, is thinking a lot about, is it possible to lower my family's baseline and change it altogether? How do we do that? And I just thought, yeah, here we go. This is like not an experiment that was made by the father, but it is one that we can study. And it's no mystery why the Yale happiness class on Coursera was as popular at the beginning of the pandemic as it was for all of the reasons that you're describing. Absolutely. And all of the connections that we make too. That's the other huge thing is... I think that's, to me, the heart of the book is how we connect with one another using words or using the absence of words and physical contact versus virtual, like all Mm -hmm. of those things. You brought up masks that we wear metaphorically and literally during COVID. And something that hasn't come up in this conversation yet is that Eugene with Angelman syndrome appears happy. Yes. Remember when I was thinking about happiness juxtaposed to Eugene and him appearing happy and reading some of these happiness articles that are in the Angelman community about genetic quote unquote fixes that might be coming down the pike, stuff that they're studying now. Mm -hmm. And then people saying, our kids are happy. They appear happy. They Mm -hmm. have an excess of laughter and smiles. So why would we take these seemingly happy kids and give them a genetic fix that's going to make them into a regular teenager who is really, it seems these regular teenagers these days seem very stressed and not all that happy. Suicide rates are high, depression rates are high, all of these issues. So why would we do that? Don't we want our kids to be happy? And I remember reading these articles and being like, wait a minute, I had been thinking about these two strands, the verbal fluency aspect of Angelman syndrome and Eugene's autism, juxtaposed to the happiness stuff that the dad is studying. I had thought of them as two separate strands that are going Mm -hmm. to come together by the end. And that was the first time that I remember thinking, I'm writing a book about happiness. And here is this deep philosophical question that we have about people with Angelman syndrome and uh, with respect to happiness and their appearances, their outside appearances versus what they're actually feeling inside and how we can't know and how all of these themes just came together. And I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe that I didn't make that connection consciously until then. So there was my answer as to one of the things that made this stay-at-home father who is the anchor to this family who spends most of his days taking care of Eugene and why he would be so obsessed with happiness and thinking about it. 
Did your happiness level change after you wrote this book? Have your thoughts about this changed your life after writing the book? I do think so, because I think until then, I had always thought about changing my expectations. And when Miracle Creek was coming out, I'd be like, okay, don't expect anything. Don't expect that it's going to actually sell or people are going to actually like it or don't expect any of these things. And then so I was just trying to always dampen my excitement, which is a bummer and, and also stressful. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was really interested in trying to figure this out for myself. And I think now I just let myself do all of the fantasizing and thinking about all the cool things that might happen that I hope will happen. And I let go of that. And so this has been a really happy time for me, even though it's really stressful. I am trying to do this thing of really trying to remember when I started writing not expecting anything, not thinking that this was going to be a career or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And just remembering that as the baseline. I'm looking at my computer screen right now, you guys, and right above the computer screen, I have the sign that says, this is not a novel that I had stuck up there just to remind myself that whatever I'm writing, it isn't necessarily going to be a book. It's just something that I'm writing for my love of the characters and the story and the creative process. I put that up there when I was starting to write Miracle Creek and I never took it down. Well, and it it's sounds amazing. like what you're saying is you can get excited, yeah. but without forgetting your baseline. Exactly. And finding that balance is probably a learned experience work. and yes. it's work. It's, it's yes. ongoing. It doesn't it stop. Is. Because that baseline is changing all the time. The goalposts are different. So you have to try not to let the goalposts change, which is hard. But I do think the act of being aware of it is like therapy, right? Being aware Correct. of something is its own experience. Sure. Correct. You know? And helps you in its own way. Just knowing, yeah. just saying it out loud and, and acknowledging it. Yeah. And I do think that functionally it is like gratitude because then... Where you are is hopefully above your baseline of where you started from. So then you're mm -hmm. just thankful that you're here to mm -hmm. begin with, regardless. I of love that. No, you're yeah. totally right. Yeah. Um, okay. Brett is a casting director. I'm a former casting director. I know. <laughs> in the magic fake world, uh -huh. who is starring in your imagination of Happiness Falls? Okay, so I am not a casting director. and I'm But you are right now. And I right. would be a horrible casting director because I don't remember anybody's name. Okay, so the only Let me try one, to help. We'll try to help. Yeah, you try to help. Okay, so the only thing is for the mom, for Hannah, maybe this is a cliche because she's a very famous Korean-American actress, but I really love Sandra Oh and I love her humor. Uh, yes. And I feel amazing. like the mom is just so warm and she's very brainy, but she's also just, she has to have a sense of humor in this family. I think anybody yeah. dealing with this family has to. And so I really would love somebody like her. Yeah. yeah. So I, but that's as far as I got. That's I, okay. I that's a great it. idea. So you guys, what do you think? Well, in the musical version, it'll be you. That would be amazing. <laughs> You'll yeah. be starring as the mom. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to have not so challenging, like nice ballady type things. Totally. You know? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Where is my husband? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> Go to the falls. What is that song? He's what making it up. No, I was making it up, but all of a sudden I realized as I was going through it, it's like, where am I going? Why did run to the fire? What? No, there's a hope and doubt. Where is it all about? No, no. You're singing Suddenly Seymour. Yes, Suddenly Seymour. I was like, what am I singing? What are, Brett was singing it. And I was like, no, but I was, but I thought it was Suddenly Seymour. Oh, so that was a great. Little Shop of Horrors is classic. I'm obsessed that you just hummed two lines of Suddenly Seymour and I knew exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, I know. That was great. That was really good. If I'm not a gay musical theater kid. We've completely bookended this episode. <laughs> we have. We have. Talking about musicals theater. and singing. I That's love exactly it right. so much. It's so great. I love it. Angie, this has been so fun. So delightful. Oh, 
I had so much fun. Not to change your baseline, but we are so excited for you. Congratulations on your book of the month. You're an indie now pick. Like, I know. It's, it's just, you're getting all the, the plaudits. And Don't so let it go to your head. Yes. No, Don't overthink definitely it. Definitely not. Don't no. let it change my baseline. Bronze medal. top 10 top 10 right that's exactly right thank you so much for having me i loved this so much i really i loved being able to sing along with you guys suddenly (laughs) see more chess seriously how can anything top this all right well we just really messed up your baseline you did you really did so Um, i blame you for that but in the meantime i'm really happy thanks angie bye bye and Kim, exactly. we loved her so much. I'm always complaining Angie. that there's not enough singing on an episode. And here we are. Here we got it. And we got so it. So much. And the completely, completely unexpected place. Thank you, Angie Kim, for being here. Suddenly, Angie. Suddenly, Angie. Was sitting <laughs> aside us. Suddenly, yes. Angie. Uh, Sing on a show. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Alan Mankin. Happiness Falls is out today. Everyone should go get it. You can get it from the link in our show notes to our bookshop.org page. And we will also include a link to information about Angelman syndrome if you're interested in learning more about that. We do talk a lot about happiness in this episode and we talk about baseline, etc. Angie was posting on Instagram and she shared that Happiness Falls is an Oprah book club, like top five must read book of yes. the fall. So of the whole fall, she's, I think, number two or three. Um, And so I wrote to her and I was like, Angie, there goes your baseline. (laughs) And her response was, no, no, she's still the 50-year-old who, you know, doesn't have an agent and is worried that she's never going to publish a book before she dies. And I just loved that so much. Like, obviously, she's had such great success. But that she is continuing to really level set her baselines and like Oprah, that's a really your base. My baseline would change if Oprah. Oh shouted my me god! Out. Could you imagine? No. <laughs> so let's get Oprah's attention. Everybody, give us five stars. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, share us. If you want to see review. Jason's baseline change, I know. Somebody change call my baseline. Call Oprah. Like us and share us and tag us and. Pods we're loving right now. I know. Could you imagine? I would die. No, I cannot imagine. Um, And we'll we'll take our Eric Thomas along with us because we know from reading his book that he all he wants to do is meet Oprah. Well, that's not all he wants to do. But could you imagine brunch with with Eric and Oprah and Ann Patchett? No. And speaking of Ann Patchett, I will say to call that back again because we don't talk about her enough on this podcast. Your whole thing about you know, not having time to read a current TBR. I saw on her stories the other day, she and Lindsay, you know, who's also an author who works at Parnassus, they've been on a little tour together and they were both talking about how they never get to read anything anymore. Lindsay said she's already reading books in 2014, which by the way, that's what- 2024. 2024, 2014. I do that all the time. I know. Where I wish I was. Back to Road to Dalton for one second. I just want to shout out because that recommendation comes from Lori, aka Book Addict PNW on Instagram. Awesome. And she's she's awesome and she's a friend of the pod and and she posted about it and it really got my attention. And so thanks, thanks Lori for that shout out. And everyone go follow Lori because she has great recommendations too. She really does. And she's a great person. Um, and she's, a, and she's the, the the meanest pickleball player. And I mean meanest like badass like good not like yes not like like as cruel. the kids might say oh she slaps she slaps I mean, <laughs> she's she slaps so bad that i'm embarrassed to ever go onto a pickleball court with her unless it's literally just to pick up her balls oh my god amazing don't yeah, say pick she... up her balls you yeah. can't say that pick up her pickle balls okay All bye right. have a good week everybody have a good week